right, well, we're starting a brand new series today called Bless This Home. And as we get ready to dive into this, you can go ahead and open your Bible to Matthew chapter 5. And as you're turning there, I did want to mention, if you're a first-time guest with us today, if this is the first time you joined us at City Church, in this seat when you came in, there's a, a white card called a connection card. If you just take a minute to fill that out for us, uh, drop it in the offering bucket at the end of service. That's the only offering we would ask for from you today. But uh, we just want to send you a letter and thank you for joining us and worshiping with us and uh, let you know how much we appreciate you being here and just let you know a little bit about who we are and what we do. So if you take a minute to fill that out for us over the next uh, 30 minutes or so, we'd appreciate that. Uh, But as you turn to Matthew chapter 5, I want to see a show of hands. I want everybody to participate in this. How many of you would say, as we start this series, bless this home? How many would say, I want my family to be blessed? Come on, if you really believe that, put your hand up. Okay, you can put your hands down. How many would say, I want my family to be cursed? There's always one, and uh, I was prepared for that. Noah wants his family to be cursed. Wendell, I hope you noticed that. Uh, You can take care of him after service. Uh, Here's what we're going to find out today. The Bible says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. The reverse is also true. So if you hunger and thirst for your family to be cursed, congratulations. Uh, So I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, but, But seriously, man, we all want our family, we all want our home to be blessed. And sadly, while we would say that, man, I want to see my family blessed, most of us probably would not say that's a word that really characterizes our family. Uh, in, in today's day and age, we see so many families that would say, man, my family's not blessed. My family is under strife. Man, there's just chaos. There's turmoil. There's an animosity in my home. We're struggling. Uh, today, in, in this day and age, we see so many families who are blended families. And, and blended families can be such a blessing, but it can get Man, it can get stressful. You got my kids and her kids and our kids together, and we got his ex and her ex and their exes, and and so much going on, there can be a lot of stress that comes with that. We also see in this day and age a record-setting number of single moms. And, man, I'm so grateful for single moms. We're going to celebrate Mother's Day in two weeks. And, man, if you're a single mom, you deserve Mother's Day and Father's Day and probably a whole other day too. Uh, You you are awesome, and and we celebrate you, and we're grateful for you. But, man, it's tough. You weren't designed to raise kids by yourself. You weren't supposed to have to raise kids by yourself. And, and single moms can, can have so much struggle just trying to make ends meet, just trying to, to pay the bills, trying to wear both hats, trying to keep the kids under control. And so we see a lot of families who would not say, man, we're blessed. And I'm not saying every family. I believe there's some families here that you would say, yeah, we are blessed. Our home is blessed, and I thank God for that. But my goal is I want to see that number increase. Uh, I want to see, as we go through this series, I want to help you to position your family to be in a place where you can say you're blessed. Jesus, in one of his most famous teachings in Matthew chapter 5, he gave us what's known as the Beatitudes. And the Beatitudes are these eight statements, blessed are those who do this. And then he'll go on and tell us what is the key to being blessed. And so we're going to unlock some of those keys over the next four weeks. We're going to look at four of these Beatitudes specifically. And just so you kind of have an idea where we're going, next week we're going to look at the statement in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 7 that blessed are the merciful. And the blessing for them is they will be shown mercy. Week 3 on Mother's Day we're going to be looking at the statement that blessed are the pure in heart. And what's the blessing for them? For they will see God. What an awesome Awesome statement. In week four, we're going to look at maybe the most controversial of the statements in the Beatitudes, maybe the most difficult for us to wrestle with. But Jesus says that blessed are the persecuted. 
Those who are persecuted for righteous, because of righteousness for theirs is the kingdom of, of heaven. And we're going to discover that if we're really going to be a Christ-centered family, if we're really going to be a family that follows Jesus, there is going to be a blessing of some persecution that comes after us. Everybody's not going to agree with the way you raise your kids. Everybody's not going to agree with the decisions you make to protect your family. And that when that persecution comes, when that, that criticism comes, man, we need to lean in and embrace it because we're being identified with Jesus. And we're going to help unpack that, how your home can be blessed as you receive persecution. And so I want all of us to be able to say, my home is blessed. And I want to be very honest with you as we begin. Most of you know myself and my wife, Melody, and our story and, and kind of where we come from and where we are going. Uh, but I know many of you may not know us as well. And so just so you know, I've been married for four and a half years uh, to my beautiful wife, Melody, to my better half. And uh, we do not have any children yet, but we will in September. We're about halfway there through uh, our first pregnancy. and very excited for that. Thank you. Uh, man, God's been, been blessing and protecting us through this pregnancy. And we're so excited to see this new season of life. But, but just very honest, we probably haven't experienced as many of the blessings as some of you have. Just because we're not as far along in our family as many of you are. We probably haven't experienced some of the failures and the struggles that some of you have. Because we're not as far along as some of you are. But understand this, we are not by any means perfect. Please, please understand, as I teach on this, as I I try to point you to the truth on this, this is not because I've got it down. It's not because we've got it down. We've learned very clearly and very, very plainly that we don't have it all together, and we are constantly in need of Jesus in our life. We are constantly in need of his forgiveness, in need of his redemption, Uh, and so don't ever make the mistake of thinking, well, you're the pastor. You've got it all together. You're the pastor. You got it easy. You guys don't ever have any problems. You don't ever have anything you get work through. Trust me, we're working through stuff all the time. But uh, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 5 and verse 6 for our first blessed statement today. And, and this is one of my favorites in the whole series. It's one that I've really been, been playing through uh, throughout this week in my own life and, and pursuing. I want this statement to be true of me. But Matthew 5 verse 6 says this, says, Blessed are those, excuse me, it says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to help me out with this verse. It should be on the screen for you. Uh, Jesus said, blessed are those who and thirst for what? What happens? Let's do it one more time. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for for they will be there's a blessing if we hunger and thirst for righteousness and we will be filled. And I think the truth is that so many homes today, even in America, even in the so-called Christian nation, that are not filled with what matters most. So many homes that are not filled with righteousness. So many homes that are not filled with the presence of God. But, but homes that are searching and striving for anything that would give them significance, that would give them peace. Why is that? I think it's because we're filling our lives with things that don't matter. We're filling our lives with things that are temporal, not with things that are eternal. And so many homes are filled with hunger and thirst for something besides righteousness. Righteousness is simply right living, doing the right 
things. We please God first by faith, and secondly, we please God by the way we live. Righteousness pleases God, and yet so many homes are not filled with the pursuit of righteousness. They're filled with something else. So here's a question I want to ask you uh, for application, and we don't need to do a show of hands on this one. This is a question for you to wrestle with in your own heart, but I want you to be real honest with yourself. I want you to be real honest with God today as I ask this question. In your home, in your family, what are you hungering for today? In your home, in, in your family, in that aspect of your life, that very central aspect, that core of who you are, what are you hungering for? Maybe you're a student today and you're like, I don't have a family. I live in a dorm. This is not my thing. This series isn't for me. Let me say this. I think this series is absolutely for you. I wish I would have learned some of this stuff back in that season in my life to to position me to be a better husband, to be a better father. I wish I had discovered these truths so much earlier in my life. Uh, But if you're that, man, apply it to your dorm. Apply it to your fraternity. Apply it to your school. Apply it to whatever your circle is. In that aspect, what are you hungering for? Some of us would, would try to give the Sunday school answer and say, well, I'm hungering for Jesus. And some of us could say that honestly. And man, your home is blessed and there's a, a fulfillment in that. And, and it would be such an amazing story for you to be able to come up here and share what has happened in your family because you hunger and thirst for righteousness. But probably some others of us would maybe try to give that answer. But if we talk to your spouse, we might get a different answer. If we talk to your kids, we might get a different answer of what is really hungered for in your home. So let's just make it easy to help you narrow this down. In the last seven days, since Easter Sunday, what have you been hungering for? What would you be characterized as pursuing? I think if we're honest, some of us would say, well, you know, man, just this last week, it was busy, and so for us, we were just pursuing a chance to relax. We were just, just looking for a chance to breathe, just for a chance to rest and relax. And there, there's nothing wrong with that in and of itself. Uh, maybe for some, you would say, we've just been looking for a good time. We're just looking for a pleasure. We're just looking for a chance to laugh. Maybe for others, you're looking for comfort. Maybe you're looking for, for security. And, man, we work really, really hard throughout the week so that we know that we can enjoy the weekend, so that we know that our, our home is paid for, so that we know that things are taken care of. And there's nothing inherently wrong with pursuing relaxation or pursuing a good time or pursuing comfort or security, but let's call it what it is. If that's what you're hungering for, if that's the top of the priority list, if that's the thing that you're striving for and the thing that is dominating your thoughts and your time and your effort and your conversation, let's be real about what you're hungering for. Some might say, well, we were hungering for popularity. For us, it's all about image management. I mean, I, I got to look good. And so it's going to go into the clothes that I wear, into the car that I drive. We walk into the church, and we look like we got it all together. We don't anybody want to know that we were yelling and cussing at each other on the way to church. Man, we're high-fiving. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Praise Jesus on our way in because, man, our image is what it's all about for us. We want people to think there's something going on about us that maybe isn't really there. For some of you, maybe the the answer is what you're hungering for is you're just hungering for 
the win. You're, you're just hyper competitive, and the win for you may be a win and, and a promotion in your job. The win for you might be j- just getting a victory in, in a particular aspect of your life. Maybe the win for you is your eight-year-old's underwater synchronized swimming team has to be the best of the best of the best. And, man, that's what life is all about. we got to be number one because that's where I find my fulfillment, because that's where I find my identity, because that's what I'm hungering for. We hunger and thirst for so many things. If you're like most of us in our culture today, if you're really honest with yourself and with God today, chances are the last seven days you've been hungering for something more than you've been hungering for God. And I think if some of us were really honest, we'd say we're hungering for many things more than we're hungering for God. And that's your choice. That's your opportunity. You can hunger for whatever you like. But can I tell you today, there is a blessing that comes for those who hunger and thirst for him and his righteousness and his kingdom above all else. So what do we do when we realize that we're hungering for the wrong things? Maybe you've got a heart like I do that Man, I want to hunger for the right things, but sometimes I get distracted. Sometimes I, get, I lose my focus. Sometimes I just slip up and I don't even realize it. And then I, I look and I'm so far away from where I want to be. What do we do when we discover we have the wrong appetites? What do we do when we discover we're hungering for the wrong things? Well, it's very simple. We must change our appetite. We must change the thing we hunger for. We must change the thing we thirst for. Uh, one thing that I have been borderline addicted to for, for much of my life is soda. I love soda. I've loved soda for a long time. And a few years ago, I really discovered that this is pretty much an addiction in my life. And I hate to admit it, but if I go a day without caffeine, I get a headache. And that's not good. And that's not healthy in, in any way. And so the last three or four years, I've set aside about three or four times a year where I'll go 21 days to a month with no soda. Now, I'm just going to cut it out. I'm going to make sure I'm not going to have a daily addiction to this thing. I'm not going to let this thing control me. And what happens when I do that uh, is I'll, I'll take that season, and I know right away when I'm not going to drink soda, i got to drink a lot of water. i got to drink a lot of water because I can't let myself be thirsty. Because if I'm thirsty, I'm going to be tempted, and what's up, Mountain Dew? Right? So that, that, that's the way that it goes for me. So i got to drink a lot of water. So when I'm in those seasons where I'm not drinking soda, I'll drink anywhere from like 100 to 140 ounces of water a day. And so I'm just drinking water, which means I'm also going to the bathroom a lot. So that's a side effect of those seasons uh, in, in my schedule. Uh, but what happens, and it, it was so weird to me the first couple times it happens, but now I'm so used to it, I expect it. When I get in those seasons, it, it'll be about day three or day four, and I'm just drinking so much water. I mean, massive amounts of water, more than I drink on a regular basis. And I'll wake up in the morning with the craziest sensation. I don't know if any of you guys have ever experienced this, but this is what happens to me. When I'm drinking that much, money, that much water, I'll wake up in the morning crazy dry mouth like crazy feeling of dehydration, like I am craving water. Why? Because I'm resetting the appetite in my body. I'm denying those wrong things that I've been putting in and satisfying that appetite, and I'm embracing the right appetite, and my body is starting to crave the right things. And that's the same thing that happens spiritually. You can reset your spiritual 
cravings. It doesn't necessarily come easy. There might be some caffeine spiritual headaches that come along with it. There might be some side effects where you've really got to deny yourself some things. But if you're serious, if you're sincere, I want to hunger and thirst for righteousness, you can reset your appetites. How? You start giving yourself the right stuff. You start spending time in the presence of God, and at first it might not be fun, and it might not be easy, and it might not be comfortable, but the more time you spend in God's word, you're going to start to discover, man, it's not really that bad. And then you spend a little more time in God's word, and you're going to discover, I kind of like that. And you spend a little more time in God's word, and you're like, man, i got to read the Bible. And next thing you know, you're going to have a day where you miss it, and you're like, whoa, my day was just shot because I didn't spend any time with God. I'm not letting that happen again. Why? Because you've reset your appetites, you've given yourself the right craving instead of the wrong craving. And our problem is we give ourselves, we satisfy ourselves with so many things that are not the right thing. And sometimes we just got to take a step back and begin hungering and thirsting for righteousness and determine I'm going to hunger and I'm going to thirst for righteousness and that means I'm not going to have any of this and that means I'm not going to have any of that and I'm simply going after God with all that I have. So, why doesn't this happen in our homes? Why, why are we in a country that is a Christian nation, and yet so many of us would say, I don't even know what it means to hunger and thirst for righteousness. I don't even know what that looks like, and I'm not sure I even know anybody who does. How is it that we are in this place? How can we get to this place where we have a home centered around Christ? Well, what I want to tell you, first of all, two things not to do, two things that don't work, and then I'm going to tell you one thing that does work. Here's the two things that don't work if you want to hunger and thirst for righteousness. The first thing is legalistic Christianity does not work. Legalistic Christianity does not work. The second thing is lukewarm Christianity. Lukewarm Christianity does not work. If you want to hunger and thirst for righteousness, you cannot be in a place of legalistic Christianity, and you cannot be in a place of lukewarm Christianity. Let me expound on those two things for you for just a minute to to help you understand what I mean. What is legalistic Christianity? Legalistic Christianity is where your walk with God is all about, you can do this, you can't do that. I should do this, I shouldn't do that. I ought to do this, I ought not do that. Thou shalt do this, thou shalt not do that. It's all about a list of rules. It's all about the things that you can or can't do do it's when you're with your kids and it's like okay kids we don't smoke and we don't chew and you don't hang out with the kids that do right you're not going to be around them that's the legalistic side of christianity where we've just reduced our walk with god to a list of i can do this and i can't do that you see the problem isn't write this down you need to remember this you need to burn this into your heart you need to to, man if you want a home that is centered on god if you want a home that is blessed You have to understand this. Rules without relationship leads to rebellion. Rules without relationship leads to rebellion. This past Sunday, uh, my uncle passed away. Easter Sunday, about 6 o'clock in the morning. And we didn't find out actually until Monday. My uncle uh, was the black sheep in his family. Uh, My grandfather was a pastor in North Dakota and in Montana, and this is my mom's side of the family. And so they would move around, and they'd start a church, and then they'd move to a new town uh, three or four years later and start another church once they had somebody that could take over that church. And my Uncle Roger was the oldest in the family. He passed away at 65 years old. And Uncle Roger was a rebel. He was the rebellious one in the family because he lived in a very, very legalistic 
family, where it was all about rules, all about, hey, we're a pastor's family. We don't do this. We can't do this. We're not going to do this. And, and, and it was very legalistic. And by the time he got out of the house, he just went completely the other direction. He couldn't live up to that self righteousness he didn't have it in him and so uncle roger got into a lot of substance abuse he, he got into alcohol addiction he got into drug addiction he, he lived a very very difficult life and, and he actually uh spent much time uh between jail halfway houses he was homeless for different seasons of his life and uh, passed away actually in a veterans hospital and so monday my, my mom got the call that her brother had passed away on Easter Sunday, and, and it breaks my heart that my uncle is gone, and it, it, it brings, and you've probably experienced this too, that, that, that little sense of guilt that I hadn't spoken to him more recently, that I hadn't called him more recently, that I hadn't reached out to him more recently. But Uncle Roger was a classic example of how legalistic Christianity doesn't work. There was no relationship there. There was simply rules, and he went the complete opposite direction and there was nothing but destruction that was brought into my uncle's life every relationship he had was destroyed every person that was close to him he pushed them away there was nothing but destruction because of the the rebellion that came out of legalistic christianity legalistic christianity will never work i'll tell you what else will never work and that's lukewarm christianity Jesus says, if you're lukewarm, if you're neither hot nor cold, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. I don't want to be saliva. Uh, and there, there's those who interpret that, that Greek word as not just saliva, but actually puke. I don't want to be that either. Uh, I'm not trying to get propelled out of Jesus' mouth. I want to be in Christ, not out of Christ. And legalistic Christianity does not work. What is that? Legalistic Christianity is when you believe in God but you live as if God does not exist. It's when you believe in God, we're Christians, but it does not impact the way that you live. There is no evidence, there is no fruit, there is no way that you could tell that there's any belief in your life. There's no real passion for things that bring glory to God. So how do you know if you're part of a lukewarm home? How do you know if you're in a lukewarm place in your life? Well, I can't judge your life today. But I can give you some examples from my life. When, when I start the checklist to go through and ask myself, God, am I in a place of being lukewarm? There's a few things that I'll ask myself and, and a few things that I will check as I go through to see, am, am I getting to a place of being lukewarm? For example, if I can't tell you the last time that Melody and I prayed together as a couple, and I don't mean, you know, rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub, uh, we're pretty good about praying over our meals. But I mean, if, if I can't tell you the last time that we really sought God together for something, if I can't tell you the last time that we went before the Lord for, for a miracle in our life, or if I can't tell you the last time that, that we got together and we, you know, you know, we need to repent over this. We need to move away from this. We need to get this fixed. We need to do better in this area. That's a pretty good indicator that I may be slipping into a place of being lukewarm. I don't have kids yet, but if you could apply that very very clearly to you and your children. If you can't remember the last time that you got together with your kids and really prayed, not prayed before bed, you know, now I lay me down to sleep, but I mean really sought God together, you might be in a place where you're lukewarm. If you can't name the last time uh, that you've done something as a couple or, or as a family that stretched you spiritually we're going to step out and we're going to give to this family because we don't know where the money's going to come from but we see a need over here 
Well, we're going to step out, and, and I know that our schedule's tight right now, and I know we got a lot going on, but we're going to give up of our time because here's a chance for us to serve. Here's a chance for us to make a difference, and God is calling us to be a blessing to the people around us. So we're going to do this. If you can't identify the last time that that happened as a family, you might be in a place where you live warm. If, if I never say to my wife, hey, God really spoke to me today in my quiet time. God really spoke to me in this passage, in this verse. God really spoke to me. Uh, hey, I was out today, and, and I was running errands, and I was at the store, and God gave me a chance to share my faith with somebody, and it was awesome, and you should have seen it, and you'd have been so proud of me, baby. If I'm not saying those things to her over a period of time, there's a pretty good indicator that I might be lukewarm. If we never go to a movie and decide, you know what, this was a bad decision. We, this is not what we thought it was. There's some stuff in here that's just so contrary to our values, so contrary to our faith. We're, I know we just spent 20 bucks on this, but we're going to have to get up and walk out of here. If we're never making that decision, if I can't remember the last time that's happened or the last time that we made a decision, you know what, we're going to stop watching this TV show because this just isn't good for us. We're going to stop putting this into ourselves because, man, there's no benefit here. There's no value here. This doesn't honor God. If we can't remember the last time that happened, we're probably lukewarm. And here's the problem for me in preaching this to you. Tuesday I went through and, and really developed this, this checklist and really started checking my heart. And here's what I found. I found two things in almost every one of these categories. There was one of these categories I felt really, really good about. And I was, thank God for that category. Uh, but, but outside of that one category, everything else fell into one of two. It either has been a really long time or it's happened, but it hasn't been at my leading. It's been at hers. And that stings as a man. Set aside the pastor thing. I mean, as a believer, as a Christ follower, I cannot fall into a place of being lukewarm. I am not willing for that to be me. And I'm not willing for that to be our house. I'm not willing for a child to be born into a lukewarm home. And I'm not saying that we are flat out lukewarm. I'm not saying that God's going to spit us out of the church or anything like that. But I'm saying there was a conviction on me. And so we know what we did Tuesday night. I grabbed my wife's hand. We repented. I repented for, for me, for poor leadership in a lot of these areas before God. Man, I, God, I'm sorry that this has happened. And, and man, I, I wept before the Lord. And I know you guys are shocked to hear that. But, man, God, I'm sorry. There's a conviction on me. I'm not going to let this happen. I'm not going to be that guy. This isn't going to be us because lukewarm Christianity doesn't work. Legalistic Christianity does not work. But lukewarm Christianity does not work. So what does work? Where's the hope in this? Because maybe you're getting discouraged in this because you're finding yourself in either of those camps or maybe even somehow both of them. Well, here's what does work. I'm going to give you two statements. They're going to be one sentence together, but it's two statements that are going to sound very, very similar, but you may look and see that in your life and in our culture, they're a lot more dissimilar than they should be. And so here's the statement. Here's what works. It's saying we are not going to be a Christian family, but we are going to have a Christ family centered home now there should be no difference between those two statements when i say i'm a christian that should mean that i'm christ-centered that everything revolves around jesus but in america somewhere between 80 and 85 percent of americans say i believe in god so somewhere between 80 and 85 percent of americans say i'm a christian but we do not see 80 to 85 percent of americans who live in christ-centered homes 
We do not see 80 to 85% of Americans who are going to live their life revolving around the person of Jesus Christ, around his calling on their life, around his calling on their family, on their home. And so there's a difference, and we got to draw a line and say, okay, I'm done just being a Christian. Being a Christian in America is not enough for me anymore. But we are going to have a Christ-centered home. We're going to build it all around him. We're going to build everything around the person of Jesus Christ. And everything is going to center on him. So let's say that all aloud together. If you would repeat that statement, it's going to be on the screen for you. That we are not just a Christian family. Come on, let's say it together. We are not just a Christian family. We are a Christ-centered home. One more time. We're going to say it and we're going to believe it. We're going to get into our spirits. We are not just a Christian family. We are a Christ-centered home. So you can call yourself anything. You can call yourself a duck. And you may even watch Duck Dynasty and learn how to do a great duck call. You may quack like a duck. You may have a little bit of duck stuff going on. But if you can't fly and you can't float, you ain't a duck. You're just not. And a lot of people may call themselves a Christian, but the evidence of Christianity, the evidence of a Christ-centered life are not actually there. And so I'm challenging you today. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Not blessed are those who call themselves Christians. Not blessed are those who hang one scripture verse in their bathroom or somewhere on their wall and call it good. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with putting a verse on your wall. Man, that's awesome. But we got to have something more than that. Our life, our identity, our family must revolve around Jesus. Psalm 63.1, one of my absolute favorite verses in Scripture. God spoke to me through this passage years and years and years ago, and he takes me back to it so often. It says this. This is David the psalmist. By the way, my middle name is David, so I got a bond with David, man. I find identity in old Dave. And he wrote this, and it speaks to me so clearly. But he says, you, God, you are my God. You're not just God. You're my God. It is personal to me. You are my God. And then he says, earnestly, I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. David says, I'm waking up and my mouth is dry and I'm craving. I got to have more. I might have had 140 ounces of Jesus yesterday, but I need some more Jesus today. I'm craving you. I want you. I long for you. I need you in my life. And if you're here today and that verse is so contrary to who you are and where your family is. I'm not here to condemn you. I'm not here to put you down. But I'm here to tell you, God's got something better. God's got a blessing for you if you can make this verse your life, if you will begin to develop the right appetites and begin to crave him in your life. Maybe that verse would would not say, I long for you, earnestly I seek you. Maybe if you were real honest, your verse would say, oh, video games. You are my God. Oh, high score. I earnestly seek you. I long for you. I long to defeat you. Maybe if you were real honest, you would say, oh, Instagram followers. You are my God. Oh, Facebook likes. I long for you. I just got to know somebody likes me. I just got to know somebody sees what I'm posting. I just got to know that's my God and that's what I long for. And I say that to be funny and, and to joke. And yet for so many, that might actually be a real honest statement. Maybe for you, it's, oh, car, you are my God. 
I love you. I long for you. I just can't wait to spend time with you. I can't wait to buy you. I can't wait to get a new one, whatever it might be. But here's what I want to do. I want to give you a revised Psalm 63 one with an application towards family, that, that this would be the statement that you would take for your family, that I would take for my family, and that's this. You, God, are our God. Earnestly we seek you. We thirst for you. Our family longs for you. And that might not be you today, and that's okay, but it can be. That you and your family could say, God, you're our God. We thirst for you. We long for you. We earnestly seek you. This is who we're going to be. And if there's a voice inside, if there's a conviction of the Holy Spirit, if there's a tug on your heart that that's the kind of family I want, I want to show you how today. I want to just give you three things, three steps that you can take to create a hunger and a thirst for God in your family, in your home. Three things that you can do. Number one, you want to create a hunger for God, a hunger for righteousness in your family. Number one, involve God in your daily conversations. Just involve God in your daily conversations. You're, you're talking about anything. Find a way to include God in that conversation. It might seem kind of weird. It might seem kind of awkward at first, but let me illustrate it for you. Here's a couple ways you could do this. You're, you're driving your kids to school in the morning, and you got to get up early, and it's dark, and, man, the sun's starting to come up. And, oh, man, that's a beautiful sunrise. Man, look at how awesome that sunrise is. That's what the Christian you might say. But we're not going to just be the Christian you anymore. Now we're going to be the Christ-centered you. So instead of pointing that out to your kid, now you say, man, look at that sunrise that God made. Look at how creative my God is, that he can make that sunrise. On that Mission OB video, I don't know if you picked up on it, but you could see the sun going down over the amphitheater as we had our outdoor service. Man, that's gorgeous. But it's not just gorgeous. That's God. He did that. He did that to bless us. He's shown down on our time together, and we got to find ways to incorporate him, to weave him in, to show our kids, our family, ourselves, to remind us, I'm not just a Christian, but I'm Christ-centered. And, man, my God made that. My daddy did that. My daddy's better than your daddy, dadgummit. Man, he's awesome. Look what he just did. We've got to find ways to involve him in our daily conversations. And yes, I believe that's the first time I've ever said dadgummit in a message and it won't happen again. Uh, my wife just lost all respect for me. I know, it just happened. Pray for me today. Uh, second way that, that you can show and involve God in your daily conversations is look for chances to say, look at how God has blessed us. Look at how God has blessed you. Your kid has his own bed. Man, look how much God's blessed you. You got your own bed. You got a race car bed. You got a princess bed. I don't know what kind of beds girls have. Whatever. I got to learn these things because I think I'm having a girl. We're going to see. But I, I got to figure this stuff out. But, but, man, look how blessed you are. Look at this awesome bed that God has given you. Man, look at, look at how blessed you are. You got your own room. You know how many kids out there in the world are sleeping in a room with 12 of their brothers and sisters? And that's like half the world that's doing that. You got your own stinking bedroom and you got carpet. You got a floor that's not dirt. You got a toilet that flushes. Look at how blessed you are. Look for opportunities to point your kids to how blessed you are. You may not feel like you're that blessed right now, but I guarantee you if you start to get some perspective of the way the rest of the world lives, man, your situation is probably a lot better than you think it is. And, and your kids need to know it. Your family needs to know it. Begin to remind them, look at how blessed you are. In, in your marriage, you face a decision. You face a choice. What are we going to do? Instead of just going back and forth, hey, well, what do you think we should do? Here's the pros. Here's the cons. Here's what I think. I mean, instead of just doing that and do those things, absolutely, talk it out with your spouse. Don't just make decisions. But instead of just doing that, say this. 
I wonder what God wants us to do. And I don't mean, you know, as you make a decision about what kind of stroller to buy. Like, there's some situations you can just make that choice on your own. But, man, when it comes to to bigger things, when it comes to situations that are going to impact your family's health, when it's going to impact your family's morality, when it's going to impact your family's future, when when you're deciding about picking a job, am I going to take this job? Maybe this job's going to move me out of town. Maybe this job's going to affect my schedule in a significant way. I wonder what God wants me to do. Man, let's get together and let's pray that God would show us what's the right decision for us to make for our family. Just doing simple things like that is going to build a culture in your kids that we're not just Christians, but we're a Christ-centered family. We hunger and thirst for God. Just this week, Melody and I were discussing uh, something in in her pregnancy, a decision that we have to make, that that every woman has to make before she has a baby. And we're talking about it and, and going back and forth, and I'm thinking, okay, I need to research it, and I need to look at this, and I need to look at this. You know what my wife says? In the middle of that conversation, she says, we need to find out what God wants us to do. And I'm like, that's my girl. That's why I married that woman. She's keeping me in check. She's helping me stay on the right path. She's keeping my focus where it needs to be. Man, I'm grateful. I got a life partner who's, man, she's not just a Christian. She's a Christ follower. She lives a Christ-centered life, and she's reminding me we're not just going through the practicals of this or that. We're not just looking through the pros and the cons. We got a God who gives us generous wisdom when we ask for it. And so we're going to go before him, and we're going to ask him for wisdom. And that's how you keep a hunger for God in your home. That's how, that's how you're able to model that for your kids. The second thing, if you want to create a hunger and thirst for righteousness, not only do you need to look for ways to involve God in your conversations, but secondly, you need to make church a non-negotiable. If you're a Christ-centered home, guess what you do? You make a priority of the worship of your God. You just do. And I know that's, well, you're the pastor. you got to say that. You want more people at church. Do I want more people at church? Yes, because I want more people not going to hell. I don't want you to come to church to feed my ego. I want you to come to church because I think a church is going to bless you. I think it's going to bless your family. I think it's going to make a difference in your life. But, man, when you're a Christ-centered family, you set aside 90 minutes a week because we believe that that faith comes by hearing and the proclamation of the Word of God is going to build our faith and it's going to make us better. And we're going to come together and we're going to worship together and we're going to connect with other believers. We're not going to miss church just because we didn't get to bed very early last night. We're not going to miss church just because I woke up and got a cough. I know there's times where you got to miss church because you're sick. And when you're sick, stay home. We don't need that. Uh, we understand we're not trying to spread disease in the house of God. But there's times where, you know, you know, you know, you wake up and it's like, Lord, let me cough. Just give me one cough so I got an excuse. I ain't got to go today. Right? You're looking for that chance. I mean, that's a snot. I see it right there. I'm sick. I don't need to go to church. Right? That's what I'm saying, man. We're going to prioritize the house of God. We're going to place a priority on being with the people of God, with the family of God, because we're a part of that family. And if you're a Christ-centered home, that's important to you. I'm going to illustrate this for you in just a couple of ways. First of all, last August, Melody and I went uh, to Daytona Beach, Florida for about 10 days. It was our first vacation where, where we actually missed a Sunday since we took over the church. So we missed actually two Sundays, back-to-back Sundays. And we went to Daytona Beach, and there's nobody there that we know we can do whatever we want. And man, we were in church every Sunday. We're in church every Sunday morning before 8.30. Most of y'all are just kind of getting up and we're already at the church, already getting set up. So us and the worship team, the media team, man, we're, we're making stuff happen. And so it was so easy to just, you know what? We got 10 days to not think about church, not worry about church, not go to church. But you know what we did? You know, you know, did we go to church on Sunday? 
We went to church three times on our vacation. <laughs> three times, Sunday morning and Sunday night when we were in Florida, and then on the way back we went to church in Mobile, Alabama. Why? Because we needed to be there because somebody was checking up on us? Nobody knew. Because well, you're the pastor and you want to tell this story. We didn't even plan on talking about it. Why do we go to church? Because who we are. Because we love God. Because we love coming together and worshiping and entering into his presence. And I'll be honest with you, sometimes it's just nice to go to another church where I ain't got to do nothing. Uh, so, so it's just nice just to go and just to be a dude sitting in the crowd and, and receive from God and be able to worship God and not worry about are the lights doing what they're supposed to do or people greeting people, not have any of those thoughts. So, man, on our vacation that we've been waiting for and saving for for the first three and a half years of our marriage, we went to church three times in eight days because we love Jesus because we're Christ centered followers of him because that's just who we are you got to build that into your kids you got to model that for them you got to demonstrate that for them you got to make the statement this is what we do this is who we are because we love him we're going to stay faithful to the house of god here's how serious i am about this here's how much i believe in what i'm preaching i've sat down with multiple men from our church some of you are in this room right now and can vouch for me if i called you out but you faced a, a job situation, you faced a, a job change, a shift change, uh, you were going to get a new job and it was going to change your hours, and you said, hey, you know what, I might get a job and I'm going to start working on Sunday mornings. And I've told multiple men to their face, and they'll back me up on this, if that happens, I love you and I'm so grateful for you, but you need to find another church. Not because I'm kicking them out of the church because they're not coming, but you need to find a church that has a Saturday night service because your family needs you to be in church and I don't want you to leave I don't want to lose your family you guys mean a lot to me relationally you mean a lot to our church but your family needs you in church with them and if you're going to take a job where Sunday mornings you're out I'm not saying like once a month you're traveling or every once in a while I'm saying on a consistent basis where you can't be there you got to find a church where you can go to church we don't have a Saturday night service side note I need you to help me grow this church so we can have a Saturday night service so I don't got to tell people to leave City Church and I want I believe as we reach this city, one of the greatest opportunities is Saturday night, and that's in our vision. That's something that we want to do. So, man, help us make that happen. Man, get on board. When that day comes, sign up to serve so we can have a Saturday night service so I don't got to tell people, you need to leave my church. That's the worst conversation to have. But I'm so serious about the power and the value of the family of God that I would much rather tell somebody, this is not the church for you because your schedule doesn't match up than know that their wife and their kids are coming to church without dad. It's valuable. It's important. This is how much I believe in this. Last way to illustrate this, Vincent Marsh is teaching in Kid City today. And every time I brag on him, he's in Kid City. Sometimes i got to figure out a way to do it on a week he's actually in here. But, but Vincent and his wife Rachel are teaching. Rachel is a nurse, and so she works every third Sunday. She's here two Sundays, and then she's at work the third Sunday. And Vincent faithfully, I mean faithfully, every third Sunday when, when his wife is at work, he is here with Jack. He's not, man, he, it's not, well, mom's got to work today, so we're going to sleep in. Mom's got to work today, so I'm not going to get you up and get you dressed and get you taken care of. Faithfully, that dude is here modeling for his son that we are a Christ-centered family. And even when mom can't be here, we're going to go to church and we're going to worship and we're going to connect. And I think that's so awesome. I admire that and respect that so much because I guarantee you that there's that voice in the back of his head saying, you could take a week. 
You get extra sleep today. Jack will be happy. You guys can stay in the bed. I guarantee you the devil's trying to use that. And he might have given up by now because Vince is here every stinking week. And I love it and I respect it so much. If we're going to create a home that hungers and thirsts for righteousness, we need to involve God in our conversations. We need to prioritize the house of God. Number three, we need to show how seeking and serving God is fun. We need to show our kids, show our family that seeking and serving God is fun. If you see seeking and serving God is this miserable drudgery. Man, you're Sisyphus and you're pushing this rock and it's just miserable and this is the life that God has for us. If that's you, your kids are going to run from the family of God. They are going to run from you. They don't want to be around that. Man, but if you see seeking and serving God is fun, if you see it as enjoyable, if you see it as joyful, your kids are going to pick up on that, find ways to demonstrate that for them, find creative ways. Here's one thing that I've done. Uh, uh, as youth pastor, we do our own camp, Camp 662. It's coming up June 19th through 21st, 6th through 12th graders. You need to go. That's my plug. But, but every year from camp, uh, we've never had our own bus. We've never had our own van. We carpool, right? We, we just recruit a bunch of drivers, and we load up as many kids as we can fit in seat belts in each vehicle, and we go. And so each year, I'm going to have three, four, five students in my vehicle with me as we drive to camp and as we drive back. And every year, and some of you in this room can vouch for this, every stinking year when we get in the car to drive back from camp, I'm going to give them two questions. What was your favorite thing about camp this year, and what did God show you? I'm not going to ask them, what game did you not like? I'm not going to ask them, who was the person that got on your nerves? Man, because there's somebody that got on their nerves, and there's something they didn't like. They'll be able to answer that question. But I don't, I'm not pointing them to that. I'm affirming and pushing down. Here's something you, man, you love that. What was the thing that you loved? What was the game you enjoyed the most? What was the competition? What was the point that, man, you just had a blast? And so they come home and they're talking about that, and that's what's coming off their lips. Is, man, I loved it when we did this, and when we had this competition, and when I hit her with the pillow. Man, it just changed my life. And they're affirming the joy of serving and seeking Jesus, number one. And then secondly, what did God show you? Because I want them to know. God speaks to you. I want them to remember. I want them to have something to go home to mom and dad and say, man, God showed me this. This is what I learned this week. This is what I got out of it. This is why I got to go back to camp next year, not just because I had a good time and, man, I had the best three days of my life, but I got to go back to camp next year because getting away and turning off my cell phone and not being on Facebook, I hear God better. I don't know what it is. It's like there's distractions or something when I'm not there. And I can get away, and I can actually hear him speak to me. And I want our kids to, to, to discover those two things. And so I'm going to do that same thing with our kids, man. What did you, you enjoy about Kid City today? Man, what, what was your favorite part about your lesson? What did God teach you today? Man, we're going to affirm those positive things. One thing, again, I don't have kids yet, and, and we're looking to, to develop and find creative ways. But one thing I heard a pastor talk about recently that I thought was so cool, the way that he does this, is they have what they call popcorn prayer night. Popcorn prayer night. Once a week, the family gets together for a prayer night. He didn't say how long this goes. I have no idea. But, but they spend some amount of time where they're going to pray together. And everybody's going to pray out loud, every member of the family. And he's got like six kids. So it's going to take a little bit of time. Uh, but what, here's how they do it. If you're gonna, when it's your turn to pray, you grab some popcorn. You eat the popcorn. Then you pray. Once you say amen, you grab some more popcorn. You eat some more popcorn. And then you pass it off to somebody else. And so they have popcorn prayer night, and the kids look forward to family prayer night because they like some popcorn. But they find a way to make it fun, to make it creative, to, to make the kids look forward to spending time with God. So here's my challenge. What's your creative way to make seeking and serving God fun? Find that out. Right? Start to seek that and share it with each other. 
Man, I, I want us to have a team where we're challenging each other, pushing each other. Man, here's how we have fun seeking God. Here's how we have fun. Maybe for you it's, man, you, you guys are a musical family, and you get out the instruments and you worship together. That is not us. We are not musical at all. Uh, when we clap on beat, we're doing good, right? Like that's, that's the height of our musical capability. So that's not us, but maybe for you that's it. And, man, we seek God. We spend time. We seek God in music. We hear God speak to us in music. What are your creative ways? Find them and share them with each other. As, as we do these three things, and we create a hunger and a thirst for what righteousness in our Christ-centered home. The blessings are incredible. There's so many blessings of hungering and thirsting for righteousness. But here's one of the biggest. You don't have to tell your kids to be good when you show them how to pursue the one who is good. Let me say that one more time because somebody needs to hear that. You don't have to tell your kids to be good when you've shown them how to pursue the one who is good. I'm not saying that you don't have rules. Every family needs rules. I'm not saying that we're just going to get rid of all the rules and trust God to lead you the right way. That's not going to work. you got to have rules. Uh, but I'm saying you don't have to have rules for every little thing. You're going to have to lay down the law on every little aspect of life because you're introducing them to the one who is good because he's alive. He's not dead. He's surely alive, and he's speaking to them, and he's leading them, and he's going to keep them pure. He's going to keep them on track. He's going to put a calling on their life. So you don't just have to teach your kids to be good. Man, teach them how to pursue the one who is good. And as you create that hunger and thirst for righteousness in your family, there's, there's so many blessings. For some of you, as we get ready to close, this kind of family just seems completely unattainable. For some of you, if you look at your life, this is so far away from where you are now. You're like, there's no way I will ever get to that. I'm not sure if anybody even lives that way, but I know that I can't. We are so far away from that, and, and you still think, man, there's just no way I could ever experience that. There's no way that our family could ever get to that place. I want to encourage you today, if the enemy's telling you that lie. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. If you will change your appetites. If you will change the thing, Father, as the head of the household, if you change the things that you're pursuing, it's going to impact every person in that house. Mom, if you will change the things as, as a leader in your home, the things that you're desiring, the things that you're ap- hungering and thirsting for, it's going to impact those around you. The promise of God is that when you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you're going to be filled. It can be done. God's going to do the part that only he can do. But he's going to ask you to do a part. And so Joshua chapter 24 verse 15 says this. Choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. That's the challenge today. That's the opportunity today. Choose today whom are you going to serve. But as for me, for my house, we're going to be blessed. We're going to hunger and thirst for righteousness. We're going to miss it. We're not going to always get it right. Sometimes we're going to slip maybe a little bit into legalism. Sometimes we're going to slip a little bit into being lukewarm. But we're going to recenter and we're going to pursue a Christ-centered home in all that we do. We're going to involve God in our conversations every step of the way. We're going to constantly prioritize the house of God. We're going to make it a non-negotiable. And we're going to look for ways to show our kids that seeking and serving God is fun, that it's worth it. Because, man, our house is going to hunger and thirst for righteousness, and we're going to be filled. Amen.